And I, I know, mothers, that being a, a mother can be a very thankless job, a very invisible job. A lot of times you're doing things that nobody sees. And I, I know personally that it, it took me growing up and having children with Janie that to, for, me, for me to even begin to understand how much my, my mom must have done for me. And I think I've tried to make up as much as I possibly can by saying thank you, I love you, you're amazing, as many times as I possibly can. And I'm sure it still doesn't measure up to the number of things she did for me that never got recognized. And I know that's true for many of you in the room. And that's why what we're going to talk about this morning, and Janie specifically is going to share in her own journey, is this, this good news when you ask yourself, does God see, does anybody see what I do? And the truth is God sees. He is the God who sees you. He is the God who's with you. He's the God who wants to give you help so you know you're not alone in what you're going through. And that's not just good news for moms. Every one of us needs that good news today. And Janie especially has a very real and intimate journey with God that where he's shown her over and over again that he does really see her. He really does know her and he's really with her. And I I have learned a lot from Janie, been spurred on in my faith, been encouraged, grown a lot because of the gift that she is to me. And so I, I wanted her and the elders with me wanted you to hear from her today the way in which God has walked her through a journey of learning how to intimately be acquainted with God as the one who sees her and really knows her. So glad you're here, sweetie. Thank you. Let's welcome Janie. Yeah. My second time. Oh, is my mic not? There we go. It's my second time up here today, and um, it's taken me a, a lot to get to this day. I'm not a public speaker, so thank you for having me, and I would like to as well welcome all the moms and wish you a happy Mother's Day today, too. Um, my hope today is to encourage you guys. Um, I feel like as I talk about some of my own experiences, I, I, want, I want it to be something that would build you up and encourage you um, in your faith, and to know that it's possible to to be seen by God, to walk with God, that he's living, he's with us, um, and that it's possible in today's day and age with the chaos and clutter in our life to really have a vital walk with him. I'm not perfect in that, but I know that I, I've grown in my knowledge of him and in the awareness that that's what he desires. He desires to speak to us. He desires for us to hear his voice and to respond to his voice and to have that closeness with him. And um, I'm going to share some stories with you this morning where that's been, um, that's been true for me, that have really encouraged me in my faith. Uh, these encounters that I've had with God uh, I've, have led me to believe very, three, three specific things. Number one, that God is real, uh, that, he, that he loves me, that he's present with us, and that he loves me, and that he's powerful and sovereign in all things, good and bad. Throughout the morning, um, you're going to hear me talk about um, just using language like God spoke to me and said, and I say this often, and sometimes I have to stop and explain what that means. So I just want to let you know, when, when I say God speaks to me, it's a very, um, it's not audible as I'm speaking to you, but it, it is sometimes very distinct and audible in my head, and it's like an immediate thought or understanding. It happens a lot of time when, when I'm praying. God will break into my prayers with a statement or a, a the, 
an understanding into something where I can later kind of put human words to it. I'm a very visual person. God speaks to me through dreams um, a lot, and I, ha- I share them usually with Jeff, and he's able to kind of deconstruct them and interpret them. I, I'm not always good at the interpretation because they're really weird sometimes, but I share them with him. And so I've just, through my life, a lot of visual God has, has um, spoken to me through, and, and Scripture has some things to say about that too. Yeah, it might, it might be, for some of you, the idea that God would speak with you might be kind of a crazy idea that he actually interacts and talks to you today. But if you read the Bible, you'll see he does it throughout the entire narrative of the Bible, but in very different ways to different people. In other words, he meets you where you're at and and speaks to you or or communicates with you in a way that you recognize. For some in the Bible, it's through a very visible thing that's more visible in nature through pictures or dreams or physical displays through even creation. And in others, it's through much more of an auditory. They hear it. And and like me, I, I get words or ideas or images that God gives me to help lead me along the way as I'm praying and waiting on him. And it, whatever way he might speak to you, we always want to test it according to God's word to see, mm-hmm. does it agree with what God says about himself, what he's like and what he does? And let's do it in community where we can submit to one another and say, what do you think about this? This is what I think God might be saying to me or leading me into, but what does his word say and what do others say as we submit? And that, that, I want you to know that's the, the journey Jane and I have been over through years of learning how to listen to God, and she specifically has met God in very unique ways that I wanted her to share with you today. Yeah, and as I've read the account in Genesis over and over, um, it struck me one time when I was reading the portion, uh, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. I stopped there and I thought, what does that mean for us today, Lord? What does that mean? Like, you're not physically present with us, so what would it look like for me to walk with you Um, And for us to be able to walk with you as you walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, is it even possible for that to happen? I wanted to start by giving you a little bit of a background. Uh, I grew up, my background, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home where I aspired to be a stay-at-home mom. And that, in my context, gave me great value. That was something that was highly sought after, highly looked after, looked forward to. I, uh, I grew up in the Plymouth Brethren Church. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. There's a few of us in the room, I think. Um, but very conservative. I met Jeff at age 19. Uh, after graduating from college, I got an associate's degree in graphic design. I was artistic and knew that that was what I wanted to do to kind of bide time until I had a baby. It was nice and easy. And it's true. It really was like... I'm not a school person, and Jeff is. He's been in school our entire marriage, seems like. I'm like, what's the, what's the quickest route possible to get the piece of paper I need to get a job that I want to have? Um, and so that was kind of my thinking so that I could get married and, and have babies. So I met Jeff when I was 20, and four years into our marriage, I had a miscarriage. It's very very much looking forward to getting pregnant. We had just told everybody at the church we were working at, Jeff was a youth pastor then, and devastating for me um, because anybody that's been through that, you know it's the loss of a vision, the loss of a dream, the loss of a hope. I was eight weeks along, so I was newly pregnant, and like I said, I just told everyone. After that happened, I had thought we were, were staying. I had, I had gotten married to him and moved from my parents' house about four blocks away to be married to Jeff. So I had this real, I was close to my family and 
my world was kind of in, in my control. And so uh, shortly after I had the miscarriage, Jeff received a call to be a youth pastor in Chicago. And I just was not having it. I was so, so now all of a sudden I don't, ha- I don't have a baby and I'm moving across the country. Very hard for me to deal with. And uh, God directly, uh, so God did some things in our life for time's sake. I can't share all of them. But um, shortly after we moved to Chicago, we, we got settled. And then I was not able to get pregnant. So we started that journey of infertility for, for the next four years. Uh, by the time I was 29, I finally got pregnant with Haley. A little... Um, little cautious while at the beginning for those of you again that have had miscarriages it's a fearful thing to get pregnant at first because you don't want to go through that same devastating and it had been so long that that I just was I was not sure what to expect so I caught we cautiously did waited a little longer to tell people but but finally got settled in that only to have at 28 weeks I started preterm labor and had a very troubled pregnancy high blood pressure preterm labor I was in the hospital in and out of the hospital eight times during that time, I was put on really strict bed rest, where um, it was very depressing for me. I actually, I, you've heard Jeff say I'm a prayer, and I love to pray, I love to talk to God. I couldn't pray, I couldn't read scripture. I just felt very numb. I felt very just alone and, and feeling kind of like, God, what are you doing? Why, why is everything so hard, you know? And so my life wasn't going at, as planned, and... Um, did you turn the page? Right Sorry. little marital mm-hmm. communication here. Uh, <laughs> trying to serve you. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all, we also, I must say about that time that it taught me, it was the first time in my life I learned how to depend on other people. We couldn't get her room ready. All these things that moms look forward to were taken away from me, and I just had this unique experience that I wasn't aware that anybody else on the planet would ever could ever experience and so I would look at other moms and be like you make this look so easy this is I'm so jealous I found myself being very jealous and entitled to um, kind of a picture-perfect pregnancy a picture-perfect life and it hadn't been up until now so I had Haley early, 36 weeks and three days, and so her, they had done everything they could to prepare her lungs and everything, and she came out very healthy. Um, but because I was on bed rest, I had a really difficult recuperation period. I, did, I just did not um, feel good for a long time and was having a hard time getting back into to, um, feeling normal again. We then got a call at, when she was seven months old. Well, we didn't get a call. Jeff received a vague vision from God to go back to the Northwest and plant churches. It was clear to me. I didn't know. I'm not a visionary, so I'm like, whatever. Uh, I was excited to go back to see my family. They live in North Seattle. And I was excited to go back to to see them. And so so we, we sold everything, had one minivan, packed up the rest of our stuff in a truck, and moved across the country. And here I was showing up to my family with a newborn baby. Finally, you know, when you're, in, when you're going through fertility struggles, people, people ask you, you know, when you first get married, when are you going to have a baby? And you're like, oh, soon. And then they kind of 
stop asking after a while, which is awkward in and of itself. And, and then, so this is like, think about it, nine years. My parents had even stopped asking us. And then you just feel like everybody pities you. So I learned during that time how to graciously suffer and to be patient with people that didn't understand what I was going through. Uh, so, so here I am showing up and, you know, my baby. And two weeks after we, we get home, back here in the Northwest, my dad is diagnosed with colon cancer. And this was devastating for me. Uh, again, another, like, gut punch. This was an acute crisis for me because I felt like my mind already went to, my dad's dying, my dad's dying. Wait a minute, he's 65 years old. This can't be happening. This was so out of my control. I was extremely close to my dad, and looking back on the whole story, which I'm going to share in a minute a little bit more about, I realized that my identity was really wrapped up in who I thought he was. Like, he was the man in my life that I respected the most. And I think even more than Jeff at that point. And so my world stopped, and so much happened in the 18 months that he was sick um, and God just speaking to me and ministering to me. But I learned during that time how to literally live moment by moment. So I don't know if any of you have ever experienced something where you just, you get up in the morning and it's all, you, you, you wake up first thing in the morning and then all of a sudden the, the reality of what you're going through comes rushing back in your mind and it's overwhelming. And I literally, there were days that I literally had to just put one foot in front of the other and get through. And my children were a blessing during that time. We had gotten pregnant and had Caleb within that 18 months as well. And God knows, had, and the, their littleness, I want to say too, the fact that they were little and unaware of what was going on was a blessing to me. Had they been older and I would have had to be grieving in my own way and providing comfort to them would have been too much for me. So I really look at God's delay in getting me pregnant is all part of that whole plan and purpose that he had. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so much happened in that in that, I want to read a little excerpt of a journal entry that I, did, that I wrote about an account that I had in the days leading up to my dad's death. He did die. And I'm going to read it because it's, it's easier for me to, I think I captured when I journaled it, what I was actually going through. So I'm going to read this to you. I was driving back home from one of my last visits with my dad, crying so hard. A voice in my mind broke into my pain and said, I'm not going to heal your dad and you will be okay. This was the first time I surrendered. The first time in 18 months I was able to verbally submit to the will of God. I had a vision of myself running so fast, away from an unseen force, so full of fear. And in that moment I stopped running, turned around, braced myself, unsure of the impact the force that was chasing me would have on me when it hit me. And what met me was a warm wind that went right through me. God touched me in that moment. He gave me a moment of deep, of a deep anchor of the soul kind of peace. I think that might be what it feels like to surrender. This gave me some courage to make it through the next couple of days. I took the kids. Haley was two. Caleb, two months. We were living in Tacoma, and my parents were in North Seattle. I took them back to my parents on Saturday night to spend the night and help my mom with my dad. At 3 a.m. Sunday morning, the day my dad died, I woke up to the sound of him getting sick. He had been sleeping most of the time now, intermittently waking up confused or in pain. Our job at this point was to make him comfortable. The hospice team was an amazing support to our family during this time. I rushed in to tend to him and held him up so he could throw up in a bucket. 
When he finished, his last words to me were, oh, Janie, I don't want to die. I just want to go to heaven. Hmm. And then he fell back asleep. I sat next to him in utter shock as to what was happening. I looked up at the window above his bed and thought, what if I just jumped through that glass and started running? I felt claustrophobic in my own body, on the verge of a full-blown panic attack. It was the only time in my life that I really understood why people would cut themselves, that burning feeling of pain and release, but I knew I couldn't outrun this. Immediately, God centered me again. I prayed, Father, call on your people to pray right now. I have nothing. Lord, please have mercy and take my dad if you're not going to heal him. I had been praying for his healing the entire 18 months, believing that God could and quite possibly would heal him. And it was at this point where I was, I was just, my prayers had shifted. Uh, so, Lord, please have mercy and take my dad if you're not going to heal him. I heard God speak back to me, wait until 6 o'clock. I said, 6 this morning or 6 tonight? Mm-hmm. We, have, we have that kind of dialogue often. So he, do we. Spoke, he spoke back to me. <laughs> he spoke back to me and said, tonight. And I just heard the word tonight. All right, Lord, I'll wait until 6 tonight, and then I'm going to lose it. Just to forewarn you. <laughs> and he died at 6.09 p.m. Our family was able to be with him when he passed. And a couple days later, a friend of our family said that he woke up at 3 a.m. that morning with a stomach ache and went into the bathroom for some medicine. And as he reached for the medicine cabinet, he heard the Lord tell him to pray for the Magnuson family. No small miracle and indicator that God heard and swiftly answered my prayer at 3 a.m. that day. God was doing unseen things on my behalf. When my dad died, I felt like a huge piece of my identity died. But what occurred to me was that I now had something in common with people who had felt abandoned by their dads. I, too, had now been abandoned. I am no longer a daughter to my father. I experienced the fallibility and inability of my earthly dad to provide all that I needed that day. Because what I thought I needed was for him to not die. What I really needed was to begin to see God as my true father, one who wouldn't die on me. And this was the beginning of that journey for me, where I was forced to transfer my fathership to God from my dad. Bad dads leave and good dads leave. They all leave. But God has said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, that's really good news because Janie's not alone in this. Every one of us in this room have probably found ourselves putting our identity in something that can be taken away, looking to something to give us a sense of security or even significance that will not last. And that may not be for all of us our dad or even being a mother. It could be our job could be our education. It could be a significant relationship. But the thing that I want you all to hear today is that what Janie is sharing applies to absolutely every one of us. All of us find ourselves putting our hope or trust in something that's temporary where God wants us to transfer that hope and confidence and security into him who is eternal and who will never leave us, will never forsake us. And that's a really important part of this story is to ask yourself, where are you looking What are you putting your hope in? What relationship or work do you tend to find security in other than God who will never leave you or forsake you? And and if I could say one other thing, Janie was learning how to trust in a God she couldn't see. 
right? That's one of the hardest things is how do I trust you? How do I believe in you when I can't see you? Yes, and this is a theme in my life. This is when, when the Lord taught me that he loves me and that he's with me. It's just changed my life. The belief that he is with us and sees us has literally changed the way that I relate to him and that I relate to, to my family. So I now had to adjust to new life without my dad, and I didn't realize how much I cared about what he thought of me. Um, my dad was a, a godly man. Uh, he loved Jesus so much. He loved Jesus so much and would always talk about him. He would always ask me, Janie, what is God teaching you? What are you learning? I want to hear it. He would get so excited. And it could be the smallest thing. He would get so excited. I grew up watching him read scripture every single day, even Sundays. I'm like, that's the one day I don't have to read the Bible, right, Lord? I can read it every other day. But he was in God's word all day, every day. And just a very humble, humble man. So here I was missing, missing him, missing the physical nature of our relationship. He was affectionate and missing the hugs and the verbal communi- communication as well. And asking myself at the same time in the weeks that followed his death, you know, does God really see me? Is God real? Does he know me? Does he, can he relate to me like I would relate to my father? So beginning a new journey of trying to, to love and relate to a father I couldn't see was a huge transition for me. I've also learned that God teaches us a lot of things about himself through many just mundane and, and, and um, just tiny little daily experiences in everyday life. And that we're always to be alert and paying attention uh, to what's going on around us because God wants to speak. He has a voice. He has a very strong voice. And a lot of what we do in the Christian faith, a lot of what we need to be learning is how to listen to his voice, how to discern his voice, and how to understand um, and hear his voice as the loudest voice in our heads because we, don't we all have many different voices coming at us, including our own, that are not helping us, uh, but that are hurting us. So... Even when we sin and feel abandoned, you know, it's like a kid that puts their hands over their face and it's like when you're embarrassed, it's like, oh, now I can disappear. But you're not, you never will disappear to God. He's always with you. And if you feel like he's distant, distant, I know in my own life, it's been the times when I've turned my back and I've been ashamed and I've, I've kind of just like, you know, postured myself in a, in a way that ignores God, not the other way around. Go ahead. And so, sometimes he doesn't just speak to us when we are feeling shame or hiding. We know that he's present with us all the time, but sometimes it's in the midst of pain, isn't it? In the midst of suffering, in the midst of deep, deep disappointment. Janie and I, several years ago, were in Napa Valley for our celebration of our anniversary. And it was the worst trip we've ever been on <laughs> because we were in the <laughs> middle of a very significant spiritual battle, some hard, hard stuff was going on in our church, and we didn't realize it, but we were being spiritually attacked uh, from forces we couldn't see, and we had one of the worst fights we've ever had in our life. It was horrible, uh, to the point at which I literally ran away from Janie at one point to get as far away from her as I could because I was so angry and so hurt, and it's interesting that sometimes it's in those places of deep, deep desperation and pain and brokenness where God speaks loudest. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, uh, God whispers us to us in our comforts, but he, he uses the megaphone and shouts to us in our pain. Mm-hmm. And I think in that pain and that suffering and that brokenness and our own sin, God wanted to speak to Janie very specifically in ways that she had been longing to hear. Mm-hmm. 
And spiritual attack often comes to us when we're on the verge of learning um, and, and hearing from God about things I noticed in my own life. The enemy hates our intimacy with Jesus. He hates it when we grow. It, he hates it when we're talking to God. He hates it. And so he's going to do, and he really disrupted, just shook up our world. This was a pretty bad, pretty bad trip. Oh, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, um, but... Two weeks prior to this happening, we, we, like Jeff mentioned, we were going through some difficulties in our elder team, and, and um, I was praying one morning for each elder individually, and I got to Abe Meisenberg, one of our elders, and I said his name. You guys may have heard him speak. He's spoken here before. Great, great guy, good friend of ours, godly man. But I got to his name, and I said, Father, I bring to you Abe. And, and I was really super discouraged while I was praying. I was almost like, oh, I just, uh, I don't even have words. And I said, and Father, I bring to you Abe. And I had, in a split second, this joy come over me. And I had a kind of a vision of Jesus smiling ear to ear. And he's and saying to me, Abe, I heard the words, Abe, Abe is a good man. And I just took such great encouragement from that. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. What is, what do you mean, God? That's pretty pretty awesome. Maybe I should share that with Abe. So I finished my prayer, and I didn't run into him, but I ran into his wife a couple days later at the school, and I said, oh, Jen, I had this cool experience. Would you pass this along to Abe for me? And she started crying. We're in the middle of the library, and she starts crying. She said, oh, you don't know how much he needed to hear this. He's, he's really struggling with just um, self-worth and different things right now, just really discouraged. So I walked away from that experience just being really, really encouraged that God would use me in that way, but also like, Lord, would you, what do you think about me? Would you ever say something like that to me (laughs) through somebody else? And that would be cool. You can say whatever you want. In fact, like within (laughs) within the next, and I ask God for, for the 1 million things I ask God for, you know, he's, he specifically answers maybe a handful of things. So I don't want you to think that God gives me everything I want all the time. But I, I have the freedom to ask, and I have the confidence to, ask, confidence to ask, and I feel that. So I said, oh, well, you know, for the next month, Lord, I'm gonna, you, can, you can send it through a text or an email, yeah. or <laughs> you can talk to me through somebody, through your word. It's, it's beautiful, but when it, it's carried by a, another human, it's just, it's really significant and profound because it involves other people in it. And so I was like, okay, I'll, my ears will be open. I'll be alert. So here we are in Napa, and our life is just like... We may not even come back married. No. <laughs> was really, really bad. I think we've over, over um, reiterated that. But, but so we're in Napa. We're spo- Jeff's supposed to speak at a Soma church down there. And while we're in the morning, so the whole weekend goes by. And I'm still, like, I'm waiting for God to speak. I'm waiting for some encouragement. Thought it might come from, from somebody down there. And Jeff's up speaking that morning at the church. And we're going to leave that afternoon. And I... I'm kind of tuning him out a little bit because I already know everything he's always going to say. So, <laughs> But there was this beautiful big glass window next to us and we were in California, so the glass floor to ceiling and you could see outside the nature and I looked over and there's two little birds just came out and perched outside and were picking at seeds in the cracks and I just kind of was daydreaming and thinking, Lord, you, you say in the Bible that we're so much more valuable than valuable than those two tiny little sparrows that I'm looking at right now, but they're finding food. They're just fed. They don't have a care in the world. And I was thinking about this and, and just like, maybe that's what God wanted to say to me. Maybe that's the word God has for me. I'll take that. I'll take that. 
So we get through the message, and then we go to someone's house for lunch afterwards and, and um, have to leave for the airport shortly, but we're sitting there visiting, and then all of a sudden, Jeff comes from the corner of this yard. He was talking to this man named Elbert. Elbert is a, a local man that goes to this church down there who's gifted in prophecy encouragement. Like, really, um, the Lord really speaks to him. He, he uniquely does this with certain individuals. And, and he has a ministry down there. And I didn't know who he was. I had never met him or anything. But Jeff was talking to him in the corner of the yard. And apparently he had told Jeff, do you, he interrupted Jeff while he was talking. He said, do you mind if I go talk to your wife? I have something that the Lord put on my heart this morning. He and Jeff come up to me and say, a quick word is we're, to urge you, if, if, if God gives you an encouraging word to give to somebody else, be very careful with people. We don't come at people and spew out, I have a word from God and... and and as ultimate truth, we offer encouragement in the limited state that we have in our minds. We trust in the Lord that we're going to bring a word to somebody that will strengthen them, encourage them, and build them up. So Albert is just so gifted at this. And he said, I apologize. And he has Jesus eyes. You know, have you ever seen somebody with Jesus eyes? They just pierce your heart. And you look at him and you're like, I feel safe. I'm a little awkward because I don't know you and haven't met you, but I feel safe. And so he starts to tell me that um, he said... During Jeff's message this morning, I was standing in the back of the church and God spoke to me about you. And I don't realize, I, I realize you don't know me, so I, I don't really know. You can take it or leave it, but this, these are the things he said. And so then the tears start coming, coming and I'm just like, ah, already immediately knowing that I had asked God specifically for this. And he proceeded to tell me a bunch of stuff, but the thing that sticks out to me the most that has been a pattern in my life, he said, and Janie, God, Jesus wants you to know that he sees you when you pray, that he sees you, that he hears your prayers, and he loves the way you pray. He loves your childlike faith and your, your, your joy in just praying. And, and, he, and do you know the name Elroy? Elroy from the Bible? I'm like, uh-huh, I think so. And he said, God is Elroy, the God who sees. He sees you. He wants you to know he sees you. And the first time you see that in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 16, where if you remember the story, Sarai is waiting to, to get pregnant. She and Abra Abraham have been given this promise that they're going to have a baby, and then through that baby, all the earth will be blessed. The, new, the number of their offspring will be, you won't even be able to count them. They'll be like stars in the sky, and yet she's not getting pregnant. So she gives Hagar, her servant woman, to her husband, Abram, to get pregnant. And she does and has a baby. And then Sarai is jealous and angry at her. And as a result, Hagar runs away. And this is the passage where the angel of the Lord meets Hagar and says this to her in Genesis 16. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears. Interestingly enough, that's not in the text, but that's what Ishmael literally means, is what God hears. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. That's the Hebrew Elroy. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Now, I, that's really good news for all of us that God is a God of seeing. God is a God who hears and listens to you and hears your prayers, hears your pain, listens to your cry, and is present. He's not far away. He's right here 
for you to cry out to, and he knows what you're going through. He sees you in your situation. And what I love about that passage, too, is in the middle of it, it talks about the kind of life Ishmael is going to live, the opposition and the trouble and all that, and yet she comes immediately with a response. Um, I, have, I have spoken to the God that sees me, and that, that you guys, when we're in difficult situations and, and struggling, the presence of God trumps anything that we're going through, no matter what what happens to us, no matter what is happening, to not have God's presence is devastating. To have God's presence is what, what it, it's like we get lost and distracted by our circumstances because the presence of God is so precious and so valuable. There's some, some great scripture that I've read, um, Hebrews 4.13, that talk about God seeing us. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to, to the eyes of him who must, we must give account. And a woman came to me after the first gathering and said that that verse has always scared her, but, but this time it really encouraged her. And I want to say that when it says, to whom we must give an account, God seeing us, his overarching, when we're seen by God, it's not like we see each other with judgment. Through Christ, it's an overarching seeing and knowing, perfect knowing and loving. So to be seen and known by God is not anything that we can do humanly, it's a God thing, and so it should be a safe thing. Uh, Psalm 33, 13 through 15, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them and observes all their deeds. Second Chronicles 16, 9, God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. And one of my favorites, Psalm 139, a very intimate and personal passage that David wrote to God. If, if you're struggling with reading scripture, you can, you can read this all week long. You can just read it over and over, memorize it, meditate on it. It's a beautiful passage. The, just the first couple verses. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Walking with God is a life of faith and trust and true belief that he's real and present and that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. He's the living God, God with us. And Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That belief has changed my life. Not the understanding that the thought that it's a nice thought that God knows me and sees me, but the true belief has transformed the way I relate to God, the way I pray, the way I, I relate to my family. That true belief. And, and you can ask God for belief. You can ask him for faith. It's a gift. It's a gift. And you can ask him for it if you're struggling with that. So currently I'm still working through my identity as a mother as I'm transitioning from having a mother of small kids to I'm kind of working myself out of a job. <laughs> and um, it's hard. It's the season of life that I'm in is hard. I could probably preach a whole separate message about that. <laughs> but I've had very depressing days and days where now we're in our like mid to late 40s. <laughs> mid to late. I'll just leave it there. So we, we actually have peers who have kids that are graduating college and da-da-da-da. And I have friends who are grandparents already. So, uh, but with whatever season of life we're in, I, I sometimes would find myself getting depressed thinking, I have the second half of my life now. I had a, all of a sudden, it's like I'm graduating from, 
high school again, and I got to figure out what I want to do with my life, you know, because my world has been so wrapped up in parenting. But understanding the journey God's had, God's had me on and understanding who I am in Christ and knowing that my identity is not the season of life that I'm in. My identity is not the title that I have or the circumstances that I find myself currently in because those things cyclically change but it's stable, it's steadfast, it's unchanging, and it's found in the fact that I am a child of God. Amen. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I want to encourage you to ask the question yourself, what's your identity in today? What is your hope in? If it's being a mother, that can change. If it's being a husband or a uh, a, a wife, that can change. If it's being a worker or a boss, that can change. I mean, all these things are shifting. The thing that will never change is who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus and who you can be as a child of God. That's an eternal reality. And maybe this idea that God sees you, you know, maybe for some of you that's a very encouraging thought, like, yes, he knows. He knows what I'm going through. He knows what I'm struggling with. He, he hears me, he's with me. This is really good news. God sees me. But there may be some of you who go, that is scary. That he really sees me? That he really knows me? That he knows what I've done? And that's where we need to know that God is not only El Roy, the God who sees, but he's Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And he is Jesus, the God who was sent to save us. See, these names of God are seriously uh, it, it, they're so integral to our faith. They're, they're the things that you've got to say, okay, who has God revealed himself to be? He does see me, but he's not against me. He's for me. And he's not far from me. He's with me, Emmanuel. And he hasn't come to judge and condemn me, but rather to save me mm -hmm. from my sin and all the ways in which I look elsewhere. That's why Jesus came. He is God with us, Emmanuel, born to live a life perfectly submitted to God the Father on our behalf to obey like we don't and to die on the cross for our sins, for all the ways in which we've looked elsewhere to find our identity. Jesus has died to forgive us. And he rose again on the third day to, to eventually send his spirit so that today, even here, God is with us, mm -hmm. alive for us, not against us, here to save us from all the ways we've run away or tried to hide. There's really good news in the God who sees. Mm -hmm. Really good news in the God who hears. Really good news in the God who is with us. A really good news in Jesus, the God who saves us. Amen? Amen. Would you like to Preach pray for it. us? Yeah. Yeah. Lord Jesus, I'm just mindful of today and what it represents and all the people in this room that are coming from various um, hurts and pains and joys and experiences, Father. And I especially just want to bring to you first the, the women in this room who want to be mothers so badly, Lord, that have had miscarriages or that have longed to be pregnant and it's just not happening. Lord, I just... I just have a soft spot in my heart for them, and if I, I know if I feel that way for them, that you feel, feel intense empathy for them, and you know what they're going through at a deep, deep level. And I just want to lift them up to you, ask that you would encourage them today, help them to know that they are seen by you. I pray that you would open their wombs and that you would give them babies. I want to ask for that, Lord, that you would, that you would bless Doxa Church with more babies hmm. through, through moms who have struggled and dads who have struggled. Father, I pray for all the relationships that are broken in this room, mothers with daughters and mothers with sons. And, and Lord, I just ask that you will bring healing and touch those relationships, that you will bring a great deal of encouragement and hope 
to all the people here today to know that you are not a God, only a God that sees and hears, but you act, act on our behalf, and you are doing so many unseen things for us um, and around us, Lord, and in us. And we just, just want to pause and thank you for that. So I entrust these precious souls to you and ask that you'd be glorified by today and um, be with us as we leave and part ways today, Lord. We love you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.